What is up, everybody? Welcome to the opening episode of our podcast, Set Scene Shot. This is the podcast where we dissect scenes and themes from your favorite independent films. We'll be examining cultural context, visual symbolism, and subtle artistry which ground iconic and upcoming cinema scenes. All episodes will contain spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie, make sure to check it out prior to listening or just embrace that you may know part of the plot or most of the plot. We air Tuesdays bi-weekly and are publishing on Apple Podcasts. Today we're touching on who we are as your hosts and we're going to be taking a look at Atlantics, a Cannes Grand Prix winner. As of August 23rd, 2020, this film is streamable on Netflix. Atlantics is a genre-defying French film depicting the love story of Ada and Suleiman in Dakar, Senegal. Directed by Mati Diop, this movie explores the politics and society in Senegal with special attention to marginalized communities and voices. Float away with us as we chat about Senegal, the symbolism of the ocean, and the meaning behind hauntings. A little bit about us, our introductions. So my name is Greg. And I am a moviegoer who loves movies that really make you think and act as a detective. Uh, movies like Gone Girl or The Illusionist always excited me when you have some big reveal, particularly because I love the element where you just kind of are like, oh, this is where all of this was going. And I love that a lot of those types of movies, you can try to pick them up and you can make guesses about what might happen. And I feel like that process of making guesses and kind of identifying what might happen in the film can be very rewarding. In 2010, I watched the infamous movie Inception, uh, the Nolan epic, which introduced to me the idea that movies which forced viewers to question and rethink the movie could lead to new experiences. And I really found this to be so with the top scene um, at the end of the movie, which was widely talked about between me and my friends, and I think debated among many people. So I really enjoyed that it was a type of movie where the viewer could engage with the content to discover new something new about the movie or about themselves. Uh, the scene with the buildings really blew my mind. The visual effects are something that I've always had a, a special attention to, and I love skiing, and so having a winter element in a ski scene was really special to me. So this kind of idea of films which allow you to explore the content both through your own lens and through a new culture uh, started introducing me more and more to independent films which ask provocative questions. Some of my absolute favorite films are Valhalla, a ski movie with a story, which if you're familiar with any type of ski movie, usually it's just you know the boys doing backflips over big canyons. But this one you know, took a different approach. Uh, Loving Vincent was another movie which redefines how movies can be made. Growing up, I always loved claymation-based movies and even directed a few of my own. But this kind of changes the take that we can paint uh, images in the style of Vincent Van Gogh and then create them actually into storyboard, which is made into the movie. Uh, as many will say, uh, the movie Parasite uh, was a great, great exploration of class this year. One of my favorites. Also got to support the fellow Koreans. Um, and then I also love Django Unchained just as a visual and a story. I think it's a fantastic, uh, just overall entertaining movie. And I think that's something Quentin does extremely well. Um, and finally, to kind of circle back to movies which uh, ask provocative questions, uh, I'll mention Requiem for a Dream, which, you know, early 2000 movie, but one of the best in terms of making you feel something um, and really question your own beliefs. Also probably the best anti-drug movie I've ever seen. Uh, so yeah, right now, currently I'm missing the theater environment, but I'm appreciating being able to stop and pause movies and look at the different scenes and sets, which has been able to be at a, a new level of how I watch movies. But I do miss the atmosphere with the crowd. Can I just say for the record, in Inception... I don't think it's the top that's telling of if he's in a dream or not. I think it's if uh, Michael Caine is in the shot or not. That's how you know if he's in a dream or not. That's bold. I don't know if I agree with that, but okay. Well, go back and watch it and then tell me it's not true. Anyway, I'm Kiki. I'm interested in films that favor the visuals 
aesthetics mainly. I have a background in, in art history. Some of my favorite movies include Cold War, Russian Ark, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, all of which really uniquely, in a way, tie the visuals to the narrative. And of course, My Cousin Vinny, which is hands down the funniest movie I've ever seen. And I recommend everyone watching it. Okay. So, our journey together. We started watching movies together at Sundance in 2018. Uh, we were rocking the student pass back then. Mm -hmm. And perhaps the most memorable movie of the 2018 Sundance film, or the most hyped, was the Ted Bundy film with Zac Efron. Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Mm -hmm. I never saw it, did you? Um, I saw it afterwards on Netflix. Mm, what do you think? Not, um, it was okay. All right. It was, he did a good job. Zach Efron did a good job. Nice. So that kind of got us, we learned from that experience that you really have to be on it with Sundance tickets. And mm -hmm. like as soon as the portal opens up, you got to be clicking as soon as fast as you can try and get some of those movies that you're interested in. Then we ended up seeing mostly documentaries that first year. Uh, one that we really enjoyed was Maiden, mm -hmm. uh, which I highly recommend if you haven't seen it. Uh, but we really left wishing that we got to see more creative and experimental films because as Kiki mentioned, um, she likes films that are very uh, artistically done and have visual symbolism. And I enjoy movies where you get to, you know, figure things out. And part of that is, you know, the visuals is looking at the foreshadowing and the visuals and starting to see where things might, you know, be linked to. And so you can start to glean information about what's coming up. And so with Sundance, we started watching movies together. And ever since, we've uh, been loving talking about film. So on that note, let's get started with our first movie analysis on Atlantics. Mati Diop's 2019 feature film begins in the construction plant of a futuristic skyscraper that looms over the suburbs of Dakar in Senegal. Suleiman, a laborer on the plant, and his friends are frustrated over wages that were never paid to them. On his way home, he stops to meet Ada, his love interest, and who is enamored with Suleiman. However, Ada is promised to another man, Omar, from a wealthier family. Before the night of Ada and Omar's wedding, Suleiman and the other young construction workers disappear on a boat into the night with the hopes of finding better work in Spain. As the wedding procession commences, an elaborate event that involves the whole town, suspicion arises as it is discovered that an act of arson was committed in the bedroom of Ada and Omar. The local inspector, Issa, is assigned to the case and soon discovers that various unexplained phenomena start to occur around the town. Possessed bodies undertake arson and ransom, building towards an augmented love scene where Ada actualizes her love for Suleiman, concreting her identity. Yeah, definitely a cross-genre film that uh, is really hard to nail down under one thing, whether it be sci-fi, horror, or romance or fiction. Uh, we're going to take three main portions to this podcast in particular. Uh, we're first going to talk about the politics and setting of Senegal. Yes, I think understanding the historical position of Senegal right now is really important to understanding this sci-fi-esque twist that happens later on in the film with these possessed bodies and spirits and hauntings that kind of seem to come out of nowhere next we're going to talk about the symbolism behind the ocean which i would say there's a dedicated amount of screen time to these lingering shots of the ocean mm -hmm. and maybe talk a little bit about why those are present and what they can symbolize for both the characters and their overarching uh, story that's presented yeah and finally we're going to address this idea of hauntings and we're going to look at how that's been viewed in, a, in an academic context and how that might be applied to this film. As always, finally, we'll give our ratings. Uh, and with that, let's get right into the politics and setting of Senegal. Yeah, so as Senegal currently is, they're operating under a constitution that was ratified in 2001, which um, had been reformed and reinstated since 1963. So it's a fairly new country and has been widely solicited as a stable democracy, nonetheless. And is this soliciting just happening from like Western countries? Yeah. I mean, how the West essentially views Senegal is democratic. So oftentimes when this happens and 
Senegal for a while was under French rule. Um, so it was a French colony for a while. And oftentimes when we see newly reformed non-Western countries who were perhaps colonies of Western countries, once they've kind of gained independence and established themselves, they try to, quote, keep up, unquote, with the Western countries because for some reason the West is the precedent to innovation. So if anyone has read Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel, this is definitely a central question that he asks is why why is the West the, you know, quote, more developed part of the world and how did that happen? Yeah, and I mean, why is the West idealized by so many other countries? Why is the West the precedent for how other countries should act? And when you say the West, can, do you mind just defining what you're viewing? Are you viewing the United States? Are you viewing Europe or which part? Yeah, the West is the United States and Europe, largely Western Europe and even Australia. Do you think there's a somewhat of an attitude too that the United States is separate from Europe, especially in those countries? And even the United States is separated from the European countries that are more advanced as well. So within the West, there is some segmentation as well. Yeah, so there definitely is segmentation, and the U.S. is most definitely separated from Europe. But the way of life in the U.S. compared to the way of life in France or Italy is more closely related than the way of life in U.S. versus the way of life in Djibouti. In these Western countries, a major driving force for innovation is capital. So money dictates what happens, what is developed, what is not. Newer countries will thus try to emulate this sort of innovation. And I use the word innovation lightly because the definition is extremely subjective and changes depending on the context. So innovation in the U.S. would look different than innovation in Senegal, for example. This contributes to a vast socioeconomic divide in a country like Senegal because as a newly formed nation, they're trying to emulate the West, but they're dealing with a very different demographic that is already established in the Western world. I think in the movie, this idea is really actualized by Ada's picking up of the the iPhone and of her husband's uh, wealth status, and that you really see a very scant difference between their kind of two ways of living, and even in the color palettes that are used to describe the two families. And so with her and her friends, often you see a lot of dark motifs. And as soon as you enter into his chambers and his world, he dresses in white. Their bedroom is in white. I think that's an interesting commentary on perhaps uh, this idea of the West that is most often associated with more of white color. But I think it's interesting, her interaction with the phone, that she takes this phone and uses it heavily and then eventually ends up getting rid of the phone to kind of go back to her own country and become closer to it. Yes, and this is also seen in the construction of this skyscraper hotel that we don't see it a ton as viewers, but we see it at the very beginning. And then when Ada is hanging out with Omar by the ocean, we see on the TV screen behind Omar as he's getting a drink, the advertisement for the hotel that is being built by the laborers who are of lower class. Which which is interesting, too, because they're not working on the hotel. They're working on the building in front of it. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. So it almost seems like you have this Western society that's standing as this pillar. That is untouched. That is untouched versus a more secondary structure. And so how does that relate overall to the, the conversation between the West and Senegal as a country? Hmm, interesting. So, essentially, when capital is the driving force and you have a large socioeconomic divide, it's seen that the laborers, who are often of working class, they are are the foundation of the top percentage because they're the ones literally building the infrastructure and they're making this happen for the wealthier people in the country. In the film, this is, you know, this plays out from the beginning as Suleiman and his fellow workers demand for their wages at the beginning and then ultimately go home empty handed without money. 
And so as a result of this, because they haven't been paid, they decide to migrate to Spain, hopeful for better work and a life where they can get paid and try to be prosperous. However, this is not the case for Ada. And between her story and Suleiman's story, there's an interesting juxtaposition between freedom and subjugation. So Suleiman has the freedom to leave the country, to migrate somewhere else to the West with the hopes of a better life. Where Ada is set up in an arranged marriage, is not allowed to leave what do you think is keeping her from leaving? Tradition and culture. I mean, she was betrothed to this other guy, and she was set up with Omar essentially to raise the status of her own family. Because traditionally, when arranged marriages happen, you tend to send your daughters off to men who are wealthier so that they can marry up. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I think... There's definitely like a conversation here about the masculine identity that you can you should be able to go out and like prove your own versus the more female uh, social construct that is more like the stay at home, be with the family. And I think it's pervasive still in this culture. And so Suleiman has more of that freedom to be independent in a sense while she is more bound to the country she lives in. You know, with this juxtaposition between Ada's, you know, life trajectory and Suleiman's life trajectory, the film portrays a traditional aspect of Senegalese culture. That being the defined gender roles and the arranged marriages, which are, from the film portrayal, fairly common. Yes, yes. It's, like, expected that she is supposed to go through with this marriage so, again, going back to the gender roles that are established, I think it's a really interesting idea that by trying to pursue independence, Suleiman and his crew die, and that Ada, by staying in the country, is able to find some sort of internal peace, albeit through a very tenuous process. And so I kind of question, what does it mean symbolically uh, if the person that is trying to escape is actually greeted by death and the person that stands with their country is able to become and develop peace and hopefully start to give back to their own country. And in some ways, to me, it, it's a statement that going away to the the West is not always the answer, that there are plenty of opportunities that exist here in the United States that don't exist in other places. But in a similar light, Sometimes you need to be able to find uh, things in your own culture and find peace in your own culture, you know, and you have to root yourself in that society to make a difference instead of just always running away. Hmm. Perhaps that comes from a place of privilege, definitely, and that not you don't necessarily see all of the elements within this film that pertain to the hardship of living in this country, but from the way it's portrayed in the film... I think it is interesting that the person who ends up trying to pursue independence and the West dies while the person that retains in the country is able to do something that is impactful to them. Yeah, and I think with the men dying at sea has also a lot to do with like the migrant story and shows how difficult it is to migrate from whatever country to whatever country. At the end of the day, too, I think this is actually a fairly empowering women's film. Uh, it's, it pushes for women's rights in a young society in the sense that uh, Ada is able to break the chains of her culture by chasing after the person that she truly loves instead of an arranged marriage and realize her own path and that there is worth in doing that for her. Obviously, we're not able to see mm-hmm. the long-lasting effects of what that kind of path might lead to. But overall, I think it's a positive message for uh, young women uh, to, to understand uh, that you, know, there can, you can go against oppression and find inner peace by doing that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these themes that come from just sort of understanding the political context of socioeconomic issues, capital, labor, things like that, in, in that sense 
this film reminded me of the work of Isaac Julian, who is a prominent, he's a black filmmaker and contemporary artist, and specifically his work Playtime, which is about 60 minutes long. There's a scene where a Filipino maid is working in Dubai in order to make money and send back to her family. And it's a similar thing where you see this really vast economic divide and it shows you how capital is really motivating a lot of things and how a lot of these people who are working for little to no wages are being treated unfairly and how there is an immense amount of wealth in the country still but it's not being distributed. Yeah, and that idea definitely applies into the into the West as well. So some parallels, but also some distinct differences between uh, these two countries in the portrayal. Mm-hmm. All right, so symbol that sits very prominent in the film is the ocean. There are lingering scenes of the ocean, whether it be at nighttime and in the daytime. Also, whether or not the waves are, you know, crashing down or on a beach or out at sea where things are very calm. In my eyes, the ocean can represent many things and is used in film to often represent turmoil, especially on a soul sense, because you have this Freudian idea of the iceberg where you have a... You know, the conscience, which is just the very tip top, which is being driven by all of this turbulence and uh, heavy weighted nature in the subconscious. I think it's interesting to examine why the symbol of the ocean is used so frequently throughout the film. To start off, Suleiman and his crew perish in a storm on the ocean. So there is some foreshadowing happening with the extensive portrayal of the ocean in the beginning. But the storm on the ocean implies some sort of turmoil, which parallels the own, the character's internal struggles and the p- unstable political state. Additionally, I thought it was important here to notice that the director also uses a lot of mirrors and the idea that when you look at the ocean when it's calm, you can see yourself very clearly just like in a mirror that you can see yourself very clearly. But when there is turmoil, it isn't always necessarily easy to see your reflection, annotating that it's maybe more hard to see what your soul wants or what you want for yourself. And to that extent, too, when the women are possessed by the male spirits and they're in the club, when you... When the viewer sees them in person, it's the female bodies, but when they're reflected in the mirror, it shows that it's it shows who it, who the spirit is that's possessing the body. So that's an extension of that too, this like literal internal like who is inside this body. Definitely a good point that in these possessions of people, you get uh, a secondary character that you can only see through a reflection into the soul is definitely paralleled by this motif of the ocean that being said there is a distinct internal conflict with ada and her hate for her marriage and her love for suleiman and she's able to resolve this conflict though uh, by getting out of her marriage for the most part but the image of the ocean continues to further the idea that she has internal conflicts within her and that you know there are constantly these waves crashing that she feels her culture around her wanting her to be a part of this and to step into a class that they believe is beneficial for her while she is more interested in pursuing what she truly loves. And interestingly, she has to, in a lot of ways, distance herself from both her friends and her family to get there. Another portion which I think is interesting is that with the ocean, you can only ever see what's on the surface for the most part. Um, And so she must uphold this kind of version of herself uh, to many of the people around her to appear a certain way, especially to her husband. And only when she really delves deeper into that reflection and she sees her true love in her own reflection and in this reflection through the whole mirror sequence, uh, is she able to come to some sort of peace and tranquility with her own identity. This, I think, speaks to the larger issue that she faces this inner conflict of the society she's in wants her to fill this certain type of role, but she herself does not want that. How does she go about trying to collect this sense of independence in a way that doesn't totally undermine her entire position within the country? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good metaphor. Like, I think the ocean, in that sense, too, is, it's quite literal, but also, like you just explained, quite metaphorical. And we can extrapolate, like, understandings of the ocean to understand the characters better. Another aspect where this kind of comes into play is Suleiman and his crew and the unrest with their construction company. Kiki talked a little bit about this earlier. Personally, I thought it was pretty ironic from a just like a visual standpoint and from a story standpoint that it's a construction company that's supposed to be building up the nation and investing in its economy, while in reality it's causing this unrest and turmoil. Mm-hmm. I thought this was done really well to show the internal conflict with Suleiman in the opening sequence where looking at the, the music score, the Suleiman's theme is this repetitive marimba which is very reminiscent of something used in interstellar by hans zimmer it's interesting because you get a cyclic nature that is reminiscent of the waves on the ocean but it's this ominous feeling it's almost like you know something's gonna like bad is gonna happen similar to a horror film but in this sense you can just see the internal struggle and props to the actor who is doing this here when the way he's shaking his head so vigorously you can just tell He's fed up, and I think it really drives his character motivation to actually not say goodbye to Ada, not say goodbye to anyone else, and just leave and go find a better life. Interesting, again, the parallel between him and the ocean, and then how that parallel is emphasized with the music here, that he is rocking and shaking, and and that's similar to a boat on the ocean. And maybe that's, you know, that's I think that's reaching a little bit, but the music in itself so often focuses on these waves, I think it's valid to assume that this being reminiscent of the ocean and the symbolism of the ocean is being pushed further. I think that transformation is actualized when they're leaving the construction plant for the day and they're sitting in the truck. And it's just a really long shot on Suleiman and his face. And everyone else is like singing and, you know, trying to keep the morale high. And he's just sitting there and you get a really interesting mix of the diegetic and the non-diegetic noises. So you have what's going on in the movie, the men singing, you know, the truck driving, whatever. But you also you do get the score come in and it's that overlapping of sound that's kind of unnerving. And I was like, what's going on? Like, why? Are, like, because it was a long shot, too. And I think that's where you you really see in Suleiman that, you know he's going to leave and like this is going to happen for him. Yeah, personally, I thought that was one of my favorite shots of the entire movie because I think it functions so well to establish motivation for this character. Mm -hmm. I think the other interesting thing that happens in the soundtrack, going back and giving it a second listen, is there's a lot of ocean sounds within the soundtrack. And so it's interesting to hear, you know, it kind of reminds me of Requiem for the Dream, which has this theme that floats through the entire movie. And you get that again here with these ocean sounds and ocean images. So again, I think it's in a, a well-done job by the director to take a symbol and be able to pull it throughout the film and apply it in a lot of different senses. One person I struggled with was the inspector, and his name is Issa. And the obvious conflict for him is that he's committing illegal activities when he's possessed, and he is a person of the law. His possession seems... One of the weaker points of this movie in the sense that this is an obvious conflict for the investigator, but everything about the possessions point to them being just these people in the club, and suddenly Suleiman is able to pop up and be this investigator that's talking to Ada and has all of these kind of convenient features which align for the love scene at the end. Kiki does not necessarily agree with this, so I will let you take away kind of your opinion about what you think on this. Yeah, so first of all, I'm I'm assuming that Suleiman was possessing Issa the entire time. But also, I find it hard to like because this movie is so unsettled in one or two genres and we're flipping from you know, fiction to romance to drama to now sci-fi. I don't know if we can try to glean meaning out of that just because in science fiction generally a lot is going to be left unexplained yeah 
And, and we disagree here, but I think what we can agree on is that, you know, it was still works under the genre of there is an internal conflict with him and, and it continues this vision of using the ocean to symbolize internal turmoil. Mm-hmm. Uh, an additional thing, which I think is interesting to touch on is that the usage of the ocean to transition between night and day. And in the beginning, we get these lingering shots of daytime where there's oceans cra- or the worst waves crashing and there's children playing on the beach. And as time continues on, uh, we definitely always get a separative shot between the night and day, usually depicting the ocean in some state. Most often, it's getting calm in the nighttime and active in the daytime. couple things here. A, it creates an easy separation so the viewer understands this is when this possession is supposed to happen and when it's supposed to end, which assists the conflict in the end of Issa tying himself to this handle and then handcuffing himself and doing all of these things. But beyond that, I think it's interesting that they always show the ocean calm at night, even though the whole story of these giant waves coming and destroying this boat that Suleiman and his friends are in is such a destructive event. And you kind of get a hint of that when there's the scene where there's these things floating in the ocean. But it's interesting to me that like night is a reflective time and it's very calm um, and there's not as many waves happening. Part of me thinks it's to like usher in this essence of a fantasy at night that you create a more dreamlike state with the sun going down mm-hmm. and that you have a reflective state where people need to sort through their own kind of demons. And so perhaps it's a way of just like creating this more calming atmosphere that is more eerie and more reflective. Overall, the ocean is used very well in this film, both from a soundtrack perspective and a visual perspective to further along the story, particularly in the point of internal conflict. Yes. So in that sense, too, pretty decent character development, I th- would think. Yeah. And and done in a non-traditional mat- format either. Yeah. Moving along, though, kind of how do we reconcile all these things? Ocean, conflict, you know, people, labor, capital, all these things we've talked about thus far. Honestly, how do we understand this twist of, you know, these spirits of dead laborers possessing these bodies of living women it seemed when i was watching it at least super random to the extent that when we first see the women as possessed in the the ceo's house or whatever i was like the last thing on my mind was oh they're actually possessed i think the one giveaway for me was that their their eyes had changed color well so i was thinking i was kind of like i saw the eyes and i was like did they like put contacts in to like bar their identity like i was so confused well and i think this kind of this plays into the outro right that the eyes are the window to the soul you definitely talk about this from a psychological standpoint but to me it almost seemed again like a crutch to assist the audience in deciphering who is possessed versus who isn't possessed definitely and i'd be interested to hear if that was a decision that was supported or not by the director Mm. or if it was something done to make it more consumable yeah because it seems tacky Mm. and it could have even just been added in post-production the eyes yeah ah yeah i don't know but i mean ultimately that was a very like the hauntings and the possessions was a very conscious choice on the part of the director i would argue and you know, it wasn't an accident. You were the viewers probably supposed to be confused because up until that point, we're assuming it's this romantic drama. But to kind of understand that a little better, I think it is helpful to look to sociologist Avery Gordon and her book, Ghostly Matters. So in her book, Gordon notes a phenomenon in which those who have been represented and visible in history are central to scholarly research so she's saying that the research and this is academic research that has been done focuses on who's visible in history therefore those who have been lost or disappeared from authoritative histories fall in the periphery of scholarship and are not focused on and the point with this is that even though 
these people or these groups are not written about and are not central to academic inquiry, they're still there. And they have always been there. And at some point, you're going to see the effects of their actions in history, even though the, even though that they were, haven't been written on. And that's the haunting. So the haunting is that we are still feeling, seeing, and trying to understand the effects of certain groups that have not been given attention in the past. So almost, yeah, from a revisionist history point of view, it's those voices that have been neglected and not heavily discussed in an academic platform. But the vo- those voices do not go away. And I think this idea of the haunting is particularly interesting Yeah, so this methodology can be extended to interpreting this film where Diop is literalizing the hauntings that are present in a country like Senegal by having the laborers who, you know, were never paid, who died at sea seeking out a better life. They're possessing the living hosts at home And those living hosts go and demand pay from the boss or who would eventually become the the dominant authoritative figure of this history. Yeah. I thought that was a particularly powerful scene at the end. And it was an interesting image the way they had them all positioned in the household as well, Mm -hmm. uh, just to be very unsettling. And I think the point is, is that this is scary. Like, I was scared i mean i get scared easy but it was a bunch of bodies and even in the in the nightclub when the women are possessed and they're sitting there a lot of them are just sitting there frozen with their glazed over eyes and and in numbers it's quite frightening yeah and and part of me wonders you know again why these people were chosen to be haunted if it's just by proximity or not but in some ways to me it seems that these are the people that are, you know, still continuing to live their life and ignoring the hauntings of what has happened to the people that has come before them. And it's it's interesting to me that in a lot of ways, the depiction of Fanta is that she's pretty well off and there's a lot of well-to-do people and some of the possessions happen to people that are more well off. And so is it that there is this underground uh, network of people that are, you know, horrific things are happening to, they're not getting paid And they're building up and supporting these people that maybe live in a higher echelon. Yeah, well, and that's the point, right? Like, the scariness is in, well, there are these possessed bodies with white eyes that are haunting this man. But it's also, the scary part is that we're learning history and there's an entire aspect of history like a majority of history that was never written about but we're still feeling the effects today and I think Gordon's methodology understood metaphorically of course is really powerful and can be used in a lot of ways and can maybe help to bring uh, conversations about marginalized voices to the forefront and I think this is what's starting to happen in horror it's becoming a platform like Mm -hmm. we've talked about previously and just you know personal conversations that the genre of horror is moving towards depicting horrific events in ways that are palatable to people so that the horror becomes the reality of life not necessarily how scary an image is and it's interesting to see directors like Jordan Peele uh, taking this newfound approach uh, to the genre and really bringing it into a dimension that goes beyond the slasher pick that is really intended just to be surprising and unsettling. Yes. And I think last thing on the hauntings, we're talking about hauntings in both a literal and metaphoric sense. So it's kind of confusing. (laughs) But I think in terms of the film and the literal hauntings that happen, this is almost kind of foreshadowed at the beginning where we see a Muslim imam talk about how if you're too impure or is it one of the girls someone's talking about how it's one of the girls one of the girls shoddy i think yeah if you're too impure then a spirit is going to crawl through your belly button and take over your body in the middle of the night and that's what happens yeah and it's interesting too that they make a commentary under that light of the inspector being impure yes well i mean are they impure 
to a certain extent, they could be considered that. I think that's something where we need to understand the cultural context more. Yeah, uh, definitely. Better than we do. Definitely. Or better than I do, at least. Well, and and actually, no, I think you're right. I think because one of the mothers is talking to an imam and he's like, you're going to dip these pages of the Quran into this bowl of water and then it will become holy water and then you're going to throw it on her and then she'll be cured. Yeah, I think also the interesting like images that are foreshadowed early kind of of the idea of imprisonment of when the construction workers are walking around, you often see them through the railings and through mm-hmm. the rebar. Mm-hmm. And that image of uh, seeing somebody through something uh, that depicts them in a box or kind of bound is very interesting. And again, builds towards creating these characters as feeling stuck. Mm-hmm. This work was or had a, a, a either a person that was on the camera or a cinematography director that had done work for The Portrait of a Woman on Fire, another French film which heavily uses dark scenery similar to Atlantic's. You know, hats off to whoever this producer is. So, yeah, her name is Claire Mathon, and she's a French cinematographer. Yeah, excellent job navigating dark spaces and illuminating bodies in dark spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my one comment on dark scenery is that do not watch this on a scene that has glare because <laughs> that's what I did. And it's hard to catch all the details that are happening in the in the foreground. Now we'll go into our portion where we talk about an overall rating for the movie, what we liked, what we didn't like. We're satirically titling this Fresh Veggies. So on that tidbit, we're going to rake each film that we see on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the best, 1 being the worst. And with that... Kiki, if you want to take it away of what your opinion was on the movie. Yes. So before I give my score, um, I want to talk about some things that I really, really enjoyed. Because, spoiler alert, I really like this film. Its ability to be unsettled in one or two genres, to me, really demonstrates the artistry of the film. It's defying these boundaries in a way that's radical shocking and I felt extremely well done and that's kind of what art is and that's creating new directions for this art form to go. There was a huge attention to aesthetics. We have an extremely focused color palette, beautifully designed compositional shots, a good mix of diegetic and non-diegetic sound, There were a lot of prolonged scenes that were consistent and really effective in communicating attitudes or moods without dialogue. Props to the actors and actresses on that regard, too. Not only from a directing and scene perspective, but they did a phenomenal job showing like conflict without ever speaking. Yeah, just acting with your face. Super difficult. These ocean motifs that we talked about that were powerful and there was a lot of meaning behind them and even these intermittent scenes of poetry where we hear Ada's voice recite a sort of poem that wasn't exactly aligned with narrative but also was but also separate yeah and in the incorporation of the score too and the even the instruments used in the score were extremely creative it was so yeah, I'd be I'd be curious to hear about what exactly made up the instrumentations because yeah. that wedding scene in particular mm-hmm. has a really odd sound to it mm-hmm. and I wonder if it's an instrument or if it's a like synthesized sound just from a my musical curiosity if it's something where they have like Hans Zimmer on his 10,000 patch machine where he's just like going crazy uh, or if it's actually you know something that's you know sampled from sounds from around that area because that sound is very unnerving yeah well and it was the repetition too that made things really unnerving and it all worked and i really enjoyed it overall i'm giving it a nine out of ten so we're starting really strong (laughs) i thought that acting was excellent script was excellent you know screenwriting cinematography the attention to the aesthetics the themes that were incorporated and it was by an a director who is French with Senegalese ancestry. This was the first film by a black female director to be premiered at Cannes, 
which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, I just thought it was really well done. And I think this is a movie that I'm going to be thinking about a lot and that I'm going to tell people to watch. And it was one of those films where I was like, what the hell did I just watch? But then when I thought about it, I was like, this was really damn good. Yeah. So my perspective is a little different. (laughs) I agree with Kiki 100% that from a technical point of view, this film excels and it does a great job in terms of the cinematography. I think they do a lot of things that help develop the film on multiple fronts, including how the shots affect the characters. How does this score affect the characters? They tied in a lot of elements that worked really well together. And they touched upon a story that is very foreign to Western filmgoers and in a lot of ways critiques going to, you know, the Western ideologies or pursuing that ideology, which to have that premiered at a French film festival, I think is bold. So for me... Those are the things I you know, found really respectable about the film. I had a few gripes with the overall story that some of the hauntings, while a powerful metaphor, felt very forced and selected to appease the story and continue the story and didn't always feel like the movie set a set of rules uh, that it was able to follow and stay within, uh, particularly in the sense, again, going back to this, that In the hauntings, you could basically haunt whoever you wanted, and there wasn't really a set of rules about who could. To me, that was a little bit, okay, well, now if we're opening up this bag, you can just haunt and be whatever you want. So it kind of breaks the structure that has compounded and concreted this film so far. Additionally, I found it a little slow at times. And while I respect the usage of the prolonged shots, part of me felt that some were extended to the point where things started to lose their intenseness. And I actually had a hard time staying very engaged with this film. Partially of that is because I had trouble fully understanding where the film was going, which if you do end up watching this film and you hear this podcast first, I think it'll be really a good way of kind of grounding you in, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, so you can really kind of get in and in, get into depth with the story. But for me on a first go, I had a lot of trouble being excited about where the film was going and being curious about where the film was going so my harshest critique for it was its ability to carry you know and maintain suspense for me that's what really edges out when you have parasite it coming out in the same year as this movie 2019 parasite maintains puts the foot on the gas and is able to just carry a story that really sucks you in the entire time and i didn't fully feel that with this movie i felt at times it was a little dull and a little slow and you know part of that might just be in used to seeing a lot of movies that are interested in the traditional you know western canon like for example marvel movies <laughs> and i you know i have a soft spot for superhero movies but that being said you know maybe that's something of my own that i you know just that's my personal opinion coming at this from so definitely willing to acknowledge that on those notes, I would like to give this film a 7 out of 10 because I thought it did an excellent job overall portraying a new story that was unique in the space, supporting directors and actors that had really not been shown a lot of attention in traditional Western uh, filmmaking. I don't know the French cinematography like land very well, so who knows what else uh, they have, these, these actors and actresses have been involved in. But for me, a little too slow for my liking and was sometimes confusing to the point of it was hard to follow. And part of that I definitely attribute to my own like lack of knowledge about the subject material. But in some ways, if this is going to be a Netflix film, it should have appeal to all audiences. Uh, Yeah, that's where I'm going to put it as a 7 out of 10. Any other thoughts? No. Really good. I will say... I agree it was slow, but I also feel like there's value in the slowness. Like, have you heard the the expressions that are like, you make music with the silence between the notes? Or you paint the picture with the negative space? Yeah. But I also think if it's too heavy, your audience falls asleep. That is also true. (laughs) It's a balancing. But I will say, too, it was super interesting that Netflix is the one that picked this up. One thing I didn't know a lot about uh, with studios and the way that they actually pick up movies is that 
retailers such as Netflix and Amazon Prime will actually go to these you know small independent film festivals and decide which films they think are worth uh, paying into. And so they'll actually then buy the film and then they'll be able to put it on their platform. And so it's been kind of interesting to me to see this like high influx of indie films this summer in particularly with Hulu picking up uh, Palm Springs. Uh, a lot of the films that premiered at Sundance being picked up by Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu. I, I wonder how much of it is politics or just finance that these films weren't able to come out in theaters. So instead they're having to be taken up by these you know conglomerates. On that regard, when you can get back and start watching independent film, we highly encourage you to always support your local independent film source. For us in Salt Lake, that's the Broadway and the Tower Theater. Yes. And of course, Sundance when it comes in. But uh, whatever city you're in, we encourage you to go make the effort to get to these theaters. Maybe they're a little bit more drabby, but overall you're supporting independent film and keeping this namespace, which doesn't just favor entertaining movies but favors movies that really tell stories of unrepresented classes uh, in ways that have not been told before yeah and even if you cannot physically attend the theaters such as right now in the global pandemic um, you can still donate so in utah the salt lake film society go make a donation yeah so with that i think we'll wrap up our first episode Again, you know, we appreciate you taking the time to give us a listen and we hope you continue to tune in bi-weekly on Tuesdays. We're publishing on Apple Podcasts and on our website. We'll have a link in the description. Additionally, we'll also link some of the materials Kiki talked about. So those two books, mm -hmm. which were... Jared Diamond's Guns, Germs, and Steel and Avery Gordon's Ghostly Matters. Yeah, and with that, we'll probably be publishing this soon. So if you haven't started school, if you're a collegiate person, we wish you a hopefully good week of school that stays relatively corona-free. <laughs> and if not, hopefully you're being able to manage the smoke in your part of the country uh, in a meaningful way. One last thing we have to plug is don't forget to vote. Voting is important. Make sure to tune in next or in two Tuesdays from now where we'll talk about another independent film, most likely Dr. Marston and the Wonder Woman. So if you want to watch in advance, go ahead and take that one and give it a peep when you get a chance. In the meantime, have a lovely week. Leave a comment or share this podcast wherever you see fit. And we'd love to have questions. Uh, so feel free to leave those as comments or recommend movies for us to talk about in the near future. Audios for now and happy movie watching. Thanks for listening. See you next time.